1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hell,
3: I suck at dating. With Dean Ungler and Jared Haven, an iHeartRadio podcast. What is
0: up, sucky daters? It's so good to have you back. It's a new week. It's a new love story. We've got a great episode for everyone today. Uh, We have Dr. Helen calling in. And let me tell you right now, she might be the smartest person we ever ever have had on this podcast Jared aside obviously because we all know that big brain he's got in his head but it's also a very 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 special week in the help I suck at dating world and what a glorious world it is and I'm gonna say we've talked about it before on this podcast but I know no one cares about it no one else besides the person that's involved cares about it but fantasy football let's talk about fantasy football for a second
2: yeah, we're gonna do for this whole podcast time. about fantasy football, actually. So if you guys for want the, to listen for, to dating,
0: no, Jared, we don't want to. We don't want them to close out of the podcast. Right. Oh, sorry. For the first time in my life, I am in Jared's fantasy football. league. I like how this on is my fantasy that.
2: football league all of a sudden. Tanner is the one that put and this thing top, together.
0: Yeah, he's your best friend, and on top of that, I, I am playing Jared this week in fantasy football. And we don't know who's gonna win. Jared's projected to beat my butt by at least like thirty points. I don't, I don't think what the so. Exact projections were. Well, projections but are worth total spot. I, I know that we uh, we we briefly text messaged about this, but we do need to have some sort of uh, some sort of uh, penalty for the loser. Let let's say you lose by ten points. I need you to do something for our audience.
2: That well, I say
0: both humiliate. Humiliating and hilarious. This
2: is what I think. I think everybody should either, I I think people should DM us on Help I Suck at Dating and tell us what the punishment should be. So Dean and I will have a side bet right now. We're playing each other in fantasy football. The loser will be punished and the punishment will be dictated by the Suck Army themselves. So DM us on Help I Suck at Dating Instagram. I will screenshot it so it's all valid and post on there. And whichever punishment has the most votes, uh like i'll figure out a way if there's like if there's no more than one punishment that's you know somebody listed then i'll i'll post on on social media and wh- whichever punishment gets the most votes dean and i will have to do also dean and i just uh, executed a trade in fantasy football so there's a lot of important stuff you happening accepted it? of course i accepted it yeah it was the patriots defense yeah, so you think I'm... <laughs> yeah congratulations i'm glad you're happy i feel Thanks. like i got the better end of the trade anyway moving on so yes
0: you absolutely did
2: uh, dm us help i suck at dating tell us what the punishment should be dean and i are playing each other in fantasy football and of course we will announce which what punishment we're doing on next week's episode and then we'll figure out how best to broadcast that to you our wonderful listeners that we love so much but back to the dating world because that's what we're all about dean you're in the maldives right now with your girlfriend slash wife Kaylin. tell us how that's going because if you guys follow dean on on social media you have seen uh literally the most beautiful place on earth the maldives
0: how's the vacation going Well, Maldives is definitely the most beautiful place on earth. Uh, Yeah, it was definitely a spur of the moment uh, situation that arose for us. It's funny because in both of our heads, we were like, we shouldn't be traveling right now. Obviously, we're in the midst of COVID and everything that's going on. Um, But despite all that, we are and we feel safer than we have in any moment that we have in Los Angeles. I obviously have been driving around. Through Colorado, up in Montana, and over to Washington, and all these other beautiful places. But it's funny because there is such a um, stigma against traveling internationally, and and obviously there's only so many borders that are open to American citizens at the moment. But uh, even posting like our initial post of like, "Hey, we're going to the Maldives" on Instagram, it was met with a lot of backlash. And like, I fully understand it. Like, people obviously are 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 scared. They're concerned. They they want everyone to stay healthy, and 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 they want everyone to be safe. Um, but it, it's so interesting because while we see that and we understand that, uh, we and, and myself specifically feel safer at more in, the, in Maldives than I have ever in Los Angeles. Like I've gotten tested just to even board the plane, got tested. Once I arrived again, everyone else here has been tested. It's like, you could go to a store, a grocery store in Los Angeles and be surrounded by a hundred people that I've never even been tested in their lives. You have no idea where they've been. Everyone here has gone through the whole procedure to, to be deemed as safe. Um, it it was a difficult choice, but Caitlin and I have always dreamed about coming to Maldives and it is there of us have ever been. We're loving every second. And we kind of understood that it was going to be some turmoil, but, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been pretty great.
2: I mean, it looks like you're that villa that you guys are staying on. That's literally in the water and you have a water slide there. Holy like I've been lucky enough, you know, to go to Italy and Greece and Ireland and travel around and man, those videos you're posting are like, Holy Christ, this is the greatest place on earth.
0: We're getting some figures of like every time we like check in a new place, I'm like, hey, like how much how much money does this cost if it was to be like in the middle of the high season? I, I think the villa that we stayed in and again, I I don't know if this is true. This is just what we were told, but it was like thirty thousand dollars per night. Oh my and God. it's like what other, when other opportunity. Are we going to get to stay in a thirty thousand dollars per night villa?
2: No, no other opportunity. Night. As long as you guys are being safe, you're fine. Just keep wearing your mask, keep social distancing, keep washing your hands, keep getting tested. You guys are doing the right thing. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. It was it was definitely a difficult decision to make, but we you guys are uh, fine. We we wanted to make it, and we decided to like come. You said, like you said, like
2: life happens fast. If you have this opportunity, you can do it safely right now. Take the opportunities because you just don't know how many more opportunities you'll have in life.
0: And the thing is, there's no convincing someone that thinks it's unsafe that it is safe. Like, everyone's – every you know, if you think that – nothing that I'm going to say is going to convince you otherwise. Yeah. So, um, it is what it is. And we are definitely doing 100% everything that we possibly can do to keep ourselves safe and keep the people around us safe. And we will continue to do so once we get back to the United States next week. Um, but, yeah. Anyways, what's up with you, Jared? Give me an update on your life. Oh, you know, you just – You guys went to like a Halloween movie horror
2: night? Hell yeah, we did. Freeform's Halloween Road. It was fantastic because usually they have a setup where it's a Halloween house and you get to experience like the Hocus Pocus house and Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters and it's all cool. Obviously, you can't do that with COVID, so they made a Halloween road and it was fantastic. It was great. I loved every second of it. Big festive guy over here. Love Halloween, Thanksgiving and Christmas, so it's a good time of the year right now my wife is walking into her glam room not sure why you're disrupting my podcast anyway before we get it's
0: always once a week
2: unbelievable at least once a week i mean granted i am in her glam room recording so i guess it's only fair but before we get to dr helen we do have we didn't get to dating terms last week and i felt so bad because every week we're supposed to give out new dating terms to the suck army audience and we didn't do it last week so i am here today easton's on the line as well so easton if you want to chime in and give us what you think some of these dating terms means. That would be great. You'll appreciate it. There he is, Easton. Say hello to the people.
4: Hi, people.
2: Great job. Uh, so the first one I have, uh, I figured, you know, Halloween, October. Why not go to a little spooky term? So the first dating term, 2020. Tell me what you think it is. Jekylling. Jekylling.
0: Oh, spooky! That was spooky. Oh, Jekyll.
2: Easton, great guesses, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I
4: I I was trying to give Dean the the courtesy of going first. It's his podcast, but uh, okay, Jekylling. This is um when you spend all of your time trying to develop a chemical that will make you a different person.
0: Ooh, Easton came prepared for the phrases today. He had a little bit in his back pocket, and I, I appreciate where you're coming. Are we, th- are we talking like costumes, like you're going to put on a new costume? No, no different costumes. Just entirely different? Well, think
2: about Jekyll. That's, that's the key word right there, Jekyll.
0: I'm going to think Jekyll is a combination between uh, Jackal and Heckle. We all know uh, heckling is like when you're screaming at players on the field, uh, obsc- uh, uh, absurd terms, all those types of things. Jackal is like a a, a cat from Egyptian time or something like that. I don't know exactly what a jackal is. Uh, Combine the two two and you get someone pretending to be a jerk and, and, you know, essentially uh, yell at the players on the field. But in reality, you are like a pretty good guy.
2: So that's actually pretty close. Now, the reason I said Jekyll because, come on, guys, Jekyll and Hyde the qualities of appearing to be one person, but actually being someone else. So have you ever been approached by a man or woman online or in real life and thought that they're initially keen to shower you with compliments and flattery in the quest to get your attention, but as soon as you reject their advances, he turns nasty, very nasty. Usually, this is more guys and girls, obviously. That's Jekylling right now. Then, where you meet someone who's overly showering you with compliments and kind to you and sweet and caring. And then, as soon as you reject any advancements by him, flips the script, turns nasty. That's Jekylling
0: right there. I want to say Jekylling is like the quintessential boy move. And I want to say I almost nailed it right in the head. I kind of had actually like the inverse of Jekylling. I thought it was mean and then nice, but really what it is is nice and then mean. But I do want to say that I, I have friends. I uh, have have friends on both sides, friends that have both Jekyll and received the Jekylling And it is uh, very, very frustrating.
2: Very frustrating. Uh, so last one before we get to uh, the doctor. Uh, <laughs> this one's funny. Uh, 2020 Dane term, Deja-Ew.
0: <laughs> Deja, Deja-Ew? Deja-Ew. I'm going to go before Easton because it's so hard to follow perfection sometimes. Deja is uh, when you meet someone that reminds you so much of an ex that you've had that you absolutely despised. And yet there's something about him that you just can't keep yourself away from.
4: I mean, I I guess I was thinking something similar. Like when you're dating someone, you're like, Hmm, I feel like I've been disgusted by this before. This is something that I've seen before and hated.
2: Uh, Very good guesses. Both are pretty close. So uh, they want you to picture this scene. So close your eyes and picture this scene, ladies and gentlemen. You're you're flicking through your chosen dating app and you come across the profile of someone you've already spoken to or have even been on a date with. It did not go well. That feeling, friends, is called deja vu ew you know a bit of deja vu but worse that's deja ill right there when you're on a dating app and you see somebody that you've already talked to or matched with or even have gone on a date with and it did not go well
0: it's like when you're on tinder for a while you go on a tinder date you delete tinder get on bumble you're on bumble and then you see that same guy on bumble
2: it's honestly like dating in rhode island everybody knows each other and you've probably already been on a date with everybody Uh, So that will do it for Dating Terms this week on the podcast. Like we said, we have Dr. Helen Fisher coming up. Very exciting, super knowledgeable. She takes an analytical approach to dating uh, and gives some intelligent advice, something Dean and I try to do, mostly fail. So uh, make sure you stick around. But before we talk to her, let's take a quick break. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, well, every step feels fly.
0: When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Welcome back to Help I Suck at Dating. We have a very special guest who is on the line right now. She is a biological anthropologist, also a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute of Indiana University. Dr. Helen Fisher. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us.
5: I'm delighted to be with you.
2: Um. you. So uh, we obviously uh, looked you up a little bit, uh, researched you. Now, I have a, a, a paragraph here from my producer that I actually would love to read to you uh, and our, our listeners, uh, if you don't mind. It's just a little bit of a background on you. And it might be the most impressive paragraph I've ever read, which is why I'd like to read it out loud. Um, (laughs) Oh, it's great. So it says, uh, of course, Dr. Helen Fisher, our guest, biological anthropologist and senior research fellow, Uh, you have written six books on the evolution, biology and psychology of human sexuality, monogamy, adultery, and divorce gender differences in the brain, the neural chemistry of romantic love and attachment, human biological based personality styles, why we fall in love with one person rather than another, hooking up friends with benefits, living together, and other current trends and the future of relationships, what she calls slow love. I would like to uh, list off my and Dean's uh, credentials. We were on Bachelor in Paradise a couple times. So uh, that's apparently why we host this podcast.
6: <laughs> Good. <laughs> a little bit of
2: a stark difference there. So doctor, um, I really just kind of want to ask you a couple questions. I was listening to your talk at Google, which was uh, very impressive. Um, and you brought up a couple questions in that talk that I find very interesting because you obviously have done this 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 research before, and you talk about is monogamy natural? Why we fall in love? Uh, like I said before, with one person rather than the other. So I'd really like you to talk about um, this this these 75 people that you put into this brain scanner uh, to study the brain's uh, circuitry of romantic love. I was wondering if you could kind of touch on that a little bit, give a little background for our listeners uh, and why you did the study
5: absolutely well first of all um we've now put over 100 people into the scanner using uh functional magnetic resonance imaging and we're i was really studying romantic love i do think that we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction sex drive being one second being feelings of intense romantic love And third being feelings of deep attachment. So what I was looking for is what happens in the brain when you fall madly in love. And um, we put a lot of people in the machine and we actually know the brain circuitry of it you know, I've always wondered, I mean, people pine for love, they live for love, they kill for love, they die for love. I mean, it's a very powerful human experience. And when you look around the world, we're we're saturated in all kinds of these uh, artifacts of this. I mean, not only myths and legends and and stories and plays and sitcoms and therapy books, but also operas and symphonies and, and, and plays and holidays and holiday cards and you name it. I mean, you know, we're saturated. And. And of course, The Bachelor <laughs> yeah. and, and, and all the rest of them. I mean, you know, I mean, we're all looking for life's greatest prize, which is a mating partner. And this brain system evolved millions of years ago to enable you to focus your mating energy on just a single person and start that dating process. Uh, and of course, you know, if you find the right person and you, you form a real partnership, uh, you're going to send your DNA into tomorrow. So it's basically a survival mechanism. And so I thought, to myself well if this is such an important thing you see it everywhere everybody's craving to have it Uh, and if one fails they go and do it again all throughout their lives so why is it so anyway we began i began to put people into the scanner uh with my colleagues and i had them bring in two photographs uh, one of the person that they were madly in love with and one of a person who when you look at that picture it calls off for no positive or negative feelings at all. It's just absolutely neutral. People would bring in, oh, a roommate from long ago, somebody that they know from the street, etc. And what we had them do in the machine is had them look at the photograph of their sweetheart and look at the photograph of the neutral individual and then see what happens, contrast what happens in the brain with the two of them. The problem with that is when you're madly in love with somebody, you can't stop thinking about them. So I had to do something to get the brain back into sort of a resting state before I showed them the neutral photograph. So the way it ended up being is you look at the photograph of your sweetheart for 30 seconds. Then you we cast a large number on the screen, like eight, and for so and so many seconds, you've got to look at that number and count backwards in increments of seven, <laughs> gets the whole brain uh, into a, a, a different kind of state. And then we look at the neutral. So it's positive, count back, neutral, count back, positive, da, 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 da. six rotations, 12 times. And that way we were able to compare what goes on in your brain when you're madly in love and what you're, what the same brain under neutral state. And I, my hypothesis was wrong. I had really thought that romantic love was an emotion or a whole series of emotions from high to low. And of course it is that but it's basically a drive. It comes from the most primitive parts of the brain, way at the bottom of the brain. Um, In fact, it lies right next to a factory that orchestrates thirst and hunger. Thirst and hunger keep you alive today. Romantic love uh, enables you to, drives you really to to find the right person and send your DNA into tomorrow. So it's a very powerful brain system and we've been able to, to locate it.
0: Dr. Helen, I got a question for you here. So you talked about oversaturation, which I I, I totally agree with. It's everywhere. There's no uh, hiding from it. No matter what you're doing, you're going to absorb it in some way or another. You also said that you test for three credentials for the 100 plus candidates that you tested. Um, do you screen for any like pre-existing type of ideas for these candidates? Because when you were naming off the three credentials that you test for, I was thinking in my head how I would fit into those categories. And I would almost say that I don't fit into a single one of those categories. So now I'm trying to think what of what type what of people are, what are you, you testing? Mean,
5: what, what's what's well, the Sex, drive, romance, and attachment? Or what are the three categories you're talking about?
0: Those are the three categories I'm talking about. Oh, when, okay. when you named all those categories, I thought that none of those were really driving factors for me in my everyday life. And again, maybe it's just my own obliviousness, oblivion to my own self. But when you were naming them off, I was like, okay, well, am I an outlier in this sense? Or are, does does everyone distinctly follow it, fall into at least one of those categories? Or I'm just kind of curious, like what, let, let's say like someone as at least as self-described as me were to be tested, would you think that there would still be a reaction to be taken from it? I guess is my question. Okay. Like if there was no, if it don't fall in one of those.
5: Okay. So they're not categories, they're brain systems, they're pathways in the brain. And when, okay. you, when, when you're feeling the sex drive, you're feeling the sex drive. And I would imagine you're a young, handsome man. you got to have felt the sex drive at some point in your life. So when you're feeling the sex drive, it's that, those brain pathways that are active. When you're feeling intense feelings of romantic love, which you probably have because almost everybody has, you're feeling uh, um, the elation, the giddiness, the euphoria, the sleeplessness, the focus, the motivation, the obsessive thinking of romantic love. And when you're feeling a deep sense of attachment to somebody, uh, you're, you're feeling sort of a cosmic connection. So they're, they're basic brain systems, like the anger system or the fear system, or, and and I'm, and I'm positive you've got all three of them. I mean, all mammals do. But uh, but the bottom line is they come and go. I mean, I mean, I you know with my man, I mean, there's times I look at him and I say, oh man, is he ever sexy right this minute? Oh, is he? You know, wow, let's let's go kiss and hug. And then there's other times he'll say something hilariously funny, and I think he's so charming, so so over-the-top cool, and I feel that race of romantic love for him. And then there's other times that we're cuddling, and he says something really sweet, and I feel that sense of deep attachment. But there's other times when I'm not thinking about him at all. I mean, I'm a writer, (laughs) I'm a public speaker, and and none of those three brain systems are active at the time. So these are basic brain systems. We all have them to different degrees. Now, some people really feel their sex drive more than others. Some people fall in love more often uh, than others. Some people feel deep attachment uh, more often and for longer times than others but the basic brain system kid and you got them
2: that is a lot of information to take in i I, i'm trying (laughs) to condense my next question because you talked about the feeling of love in the brain is right back there near thirst and hunger pretty much necessities of life so my my question is I, i guess that feeling of love would that be designated as a necessity of life
5: no, I mean, well, let's, let's talk about which brain system. I mean, the brain system for uh, romantic love um, is not a necessity. None of them are. I mean, you know, I have run into people who've said they've never felt the sex drive. I mean, not many, I'll tell you that. Uh, and, and I've found young people um, who have never experienced the feeling of, of romantic love. And they will, as a matter of fact, I have two friends who actually never, they both married happily, they were deeply attached to their uh, spouse, they both had children, and not until their 50s did either of them actually fall in love. And strange, not with their partner, with somebody else in both cases. They never left their partner. They went on this ride, really, for a couple of years, and then they got rid of that relationship and went back to their deep attachment. But they both said the same thing to me, which was very interesting. They both said, you know, Helen, I I read Romeo and Juliet, but I never got it. Now I get it. So these are basic brain systems. Everybody, almost everybody feels them. Now, there's some people with... Oh, uh, problems in the brain, really, uh, or they're too scared. They've had a uh, a problem in, you know, in teenage or something, and they said, I'm never doing this again. But the vast majority, everywhere in the world, you we're, you know, as I said, we are deluged with the the artifacts of this incredible brain. So it's like the fear system. I mean, everybody gets scared. You know, the youngest person I ever met who was madly in love was two and a half. <laughs> Not talking about sex drive. He would Every time a particular little girl would come over to his house, he'd just sit with her and just stroke her hair. And then when she left, he'd be depressed for about an hour and a half. And I know a man right now who's 87 who's nuts about a woman. I I mean, he can't eat. He can't sleep. He cries when she doesn't call him. (laughs) So it's a basic brain system. We all have it and it evolved millions of years other animals have it too by the way um you know in one of my books uh, it was why him why her no it was i guess why why we love anyway the bottom line is there's a chapter about animal romance and it's a basic brain system that is it's a dopamine system and it can be triggered in an instant it's very easy to explain love at first sight but i remember this one story that i read in the new york times it was about a moose who fell in love with a cow and for about 60, 80, no, 76 days, it just followed <laughs> this cow. And the cow didn't pay any attention to the moose at all. And after about uh, 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 you know some time, the, the, the moose gave up. Well, we all make mistakes and this moose did too. So bottom line is it's a brain system that we inherited. Now, for example, a rat apparently only feels that attraction, that deep attraction that we've come to call romantic love, that deep attraction for about 30 seconds. An elephant, you can see it for about five days during the person, the female's period of estrus, etc. So it's going to vary. It's not always linked with attachment. What's amazing about people is that we not only fall in love with them, but then we sign up for a long-term thing with them. I mean, uh, we form pair bonds. We're an animal that forms partnerships to rear our young. Very unusual. Ninety-seven percent of mammals do not pair up to their rear, rear their young. People do, and in fact, in our brain scanning, we not only looked at well, we ended up stumbling on uh, the brain region linked with feelings of deep attachment as well as romantic love.
0: Doctor, I got a question for you. So so gathering the information has to only be half the battle, right? What do we do with that information once we have it?
5: Oh, brother, well, you know, I spent my life on this. You know, I'm chief science advisor to Match.com and I've been it for 15 years. And um, so I not only study love of, of what's in the brain, but I, I want to know what you're looking for. Um, uh, you know, uh, what kind of person, what kind of way you're going to express your love, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think there's a great deal that you can learn from it. Uh, let me tell you something that's very important to me. We put people in, you know, people say, well, what makes a happy partnership? I mean, uh, uh, and psychologists will say all kinds of things, which is very good. I mean, don't express criticism, uh. Don't show contempt. uh, Don't be defensive. uh, Don't stonewall. Don't don't shut down. All good. All good. But this is what the brain says when you are happily in love, not just loving, but in love in a long-term partnership. These are three brain regions that become active in a long-term, happy, in-love partnership. A brain region linked with empathy a brain region linked with controlling your own stress and your own emotions, and a brain region linked with what I call positive illusions, the ability to overlook what you don't like about somebody and focus on what you do. So that's where this brain scanning come in. It can really add what the brain is doing when you're madly in love. Um, and so, uh, I mean, there's, I, mean I, I can go on forever, but I'll just say one thing about the internet. I mean, um, knowing what I know about the brain, we're misusing these dating sites. Nothing wrong with these dating sites. In fact, they're not even dating sites. All they are is introducing sites. All they do is introduce you. Everybody's up in an air that they're gonna change humanity. They act, all they do is introduce you to somebody. You you meet them, you smile the way you always did, you laugh the way you always did, you parade the way you always did, you, you assess them the way you always did. So that's all they are is introducing sites but we don't really know how to use them. And that's where knowing about the brain, and I'd be happy to go through it, but I don't want to go rambling on here. Uh, 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 there's ways to use the internet that I have been able to learn from, uh, from uh, internet dating, uh, from knowing what I know about the brain. So it's very useful understanding the brain, understanding... Um, The psychology, what people are looking for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, the more you can know about love, the better you can handle it when the time comes.
2: Um, So, Doctor, you also did a study with uh, Match, uh, match Match.com, talking about uh, how 2020 has transformed dating. And there's some interesting facts uh, that are in here. Um, Of the people that you surveyed, 71% of singles said they spent quarantine without sex. Um, And of the other 29% who had sex, one in four, so about 24% of them, uh, had sex with their non-romantic roommate. So how has 2020 and how has quarantine changed the world of dating?
5: Well, um, weirdly enough, in in a in actually a very positive way. I mean, you know, it's a horrible disease, no question about that. But it's it's given this almost perversely strange, oddly good gift to to singles. But first of all, back to the twenty four uh, percent who who had sex with a non-romantic partner. I'm not at all surprised at that. Uh, Academics call it situational sex. I mean, it's very clear that, you know, if you're stuck in jail or some other sort of institution, or if you're traveling in places where you don't know anybody and you're lonely, uh, you're going to end up having sex with people you might not have uh, chosen back at home. So that's what's going on and uh I'm not at all surprised you're stuck in a place for months with somebody you're going to get to know them uh you're going to have a lot of meals with them you're going to watch a lot of TV with them you're going to you know share a lot of your your hopes and disappointments with them and all of this uh self-disclosure does um amp up intimacy. So I'm not surprised that people are having sex with somebody who they are they didn't weren't in love with. What interests me about that is I wonder how many will remain whether they actually do fall in love. And we don't have the data on that yet. But Mm -hmm. anyway, back to your other question of why this horrible disease, uh, how it's changed uh, dating, It's it changed it in a very interesting and significant way. As you mentioned in your introduction, I talk about slow love. You know, I've been studying with MATCH for 15 years. We do not poll the MATCH members. This is a national representative sample of singles based on the US census. So it's real science. We got data on 50,000 people. And what I've found uh, is that I call it slow sex. I mean, sorry, and slow love. So and, you know, we used to, uh, you know, meet somebody in our early 20s and marry in our early 20s. Now we're marrying in our late 20s. Uh, and we're seeing this long period of getting to know people before you tie the knot. It's called slow love. I'm really impl- impressed with the younger date. They want to get this right. They, they want to they want um, you know, transparency, they want honesty, they want meaningful conversations. Um, uh, they want somebody with a, with a, with a, a good education and a, and, and a job and, and financial stability. They are serious about it and they, they're gonna stick it out until they find the right person. So that's a trend that I have been seeing for several years uh, that I call slow love. And what the pandemic has done is slow it down even more. You know, prior to the uh, pandemic, um, people really met on the internet and then they went out on the first date. Now they meet on the internet and then this whole period of video chatting before they go out in person. And I think that's very adaptive. I mean, you know, on that first date, it's first dates are very awkward. I mean, first of all, you know, Do you spend a lot of money going to a fancy bar or do you just buy a cup of coffee together? Uh, Money's off the table when you do video chatting. Sex is off the table. You don't have to decide whether you're going to kiss and hug or hold her hand or anything. Sex is off the table. And what we're seeing during this pandemic is um, people are spending a lot longer on the internet. Um, uh, having these video chats, getting to know somebody before they uh, uh, have to kiss any frogs. Um, uh, they are having more meaningful conversations. We've got good data on that. It came out this week. Um, uh, they are having, they're more honest. They're more transparent. Uh, they're less interested in, the, in, in, in good looks, uh, not only in themselves, but in uh, potential partners. They're even more interested in somebody who's got a good job and is financially stable. They're doing more of what I call intentional dating. Uh, and, uh, and they're slowing down the process. And from an anthropological or, or Darwinian perspective, I've got data on 80 cultures through the demographic yearbooks of the United Nations. My data goes back to 1947. And as it turns out, the longer you court and the later you marry, the more likely you are to stay together, hmm. and that's what we're seeing with this pandemic—the slowing down of courtship—and we may well—and we're going to get out of this pandemic at some point—and people will get back to meeting in person. But what's interesting is, 58% of these people, when I asked, uh, you know, will you uh, do you think that you would continue doing this video chatting before the first date? 58% said yes. And I'm not surprised because it's easy. It's a vetting process, for God's sakes. You know, you can get rid of the the ones you don't want before you go out and spend money and time and get all dressed up and have the awkwardness with sex. So it seems to be a new stage in the dating process. It's slowing it down even more. Mm -hmm. And slow love is, I think, going to lead to relative family stability.
0: And you think 58% is going to hold because when I think about it, I think people are just kind of stuck in this idea. And so they're just saying, yeah, I could see this happening post pandemic, but it's hard for me to imagine that happening after the fact. And then also follow up question. Do you think that, I know we touched on a lot of the positives for this uh, slow love as we talked about, but what kind of negatives do you think we could possibly draw from it too?
5: Oh, it's a very good question. Um, it's funny. It's fun, nobody's asked me that
2: question. i got to think on this for a bit. Coming you? in, firing hot.
5: <laughs> Start me out, man. Do you have any ideas of what would be the what, bad about getting to know somebody slowly? I mean, listen, I've got,
0: I, I, I think we all kind of have bad ideas, not bad ideas, but ideas of how it could be bad. It's, but the, the the fact of the matter is we're kind of confronted with those ideas as it is anyways, the single people as it is, you know, it's like, your worst ideas are already kind of happening in front of you. So it's easy to kind of pick and, and, and choose the positives that are coming from it. Um I'm just trying to think of maybe some long-term side effects that maybe wouldn't be so positive. And you're right, it's hard to it's hard to pick and choose and find those things that maybe are, are gonna be long lasting that aren't I'd say that good. one
2: thing that I and I don't know if this is a true negative or not, or if it's just my own mind, but I do feel that sometimes people give up on love too easily or give up on people too easily and i'm curious that with slow love if they're w- they're more willing to give up even easier um, that would be one side effect i'd be interested to see because you know with when within relationships we all know that there are going to be certain times when the relationship isn't going well and you kind of have to overcome some obstacles together and, and and figure things out no relationship is ever perfect and i'm curious if slow love is going to lead people to even thinking that they need more of a perfect relationship something that just doesn't exist
5: hmm. I, I don't Kids, know, you know for, some, for some reason i th- see that as apples and oranges i mean slow love is is just talking about the courtship process the slowing down of getting to know somebody that's all it is yeah. and i think that what you're talking about is in a relationship and certainly in a relationship there's escalation points and there's breaking points and all the way along uh, you know, you can they can say something hilariously funny and oh man, this is this is you know, gosh, I I'm really with the right person and then all of a sudden they're gonna vote for somebody you think is insane and uh, you think, Oh my god, where am I coming from here? You know. So I mean you know, it's a rocky road, for God's sakes. Totally. What's beautiful about romantic love is that we're able to overlook what we don't like about somebody. I mean, as Chaucer said, love is blind. And what we found in the brain scanner was that uh, people who were madly in love showed less and less activity in brain regions linked with, with uh, decision-making and, uh, uh, you know, objective thinking. So um, the brain is built to fall in love. And I, I, I think that slow love is just a just the slowing down of the courtship process. That's Mm -hmm. all it is, is the slowing down of the courtship process. But I don't think that's going to make people give up. I think the people who are going to give up are going to give up for different kind of reasons.
2: I agree. Uh, I think what I was referring to is whenever I hear friends go on dates with people and they always kind of point out the negatives rather than the positives. For example, they always, I feel like a lot of my friends are, they're almost making excuses as to why they shouldn't see someone or why they don't think that this relationship would pan out because, you know, oh well, he, uh, you know, wore a blue shirt and i hate blue so i'm not sure if it's going to work out i'm obviously being dramatic when i say things like that but i i have seen examples within my own friend group where even before the relationship begins they're unwilling to give it a shot because not because it, it doesn't feel right but because there there seems to be some sort of obstacle in the way which i i find more as an excuse maybe because they're nervous of jumping into a relationship and i'm curious if that has been bred from quote-unquote, slow love, because, you know, 40 years ago, it was... You know, you, you, you got married for different reasons. People would get married because they, they lived close together or because, you know, it's what society kind of deemed upon them or, um, you know, for, for financial reasons, stability, kids, so on and so forth. And obviously, people are getting married now later in life for a, l- a multitude of different reasons, most most of all being that they are in love with the person. And I'd argue that, of course, at the end of the day, that's the right course of action. But I'm curious, you know, if we're just talking about any type of negativity or or side effects from quote unquote slow love. I'm just kind of throwing stuff against the wall. And I I guess I could see that maybe being a minor, minor side effect, even though I'm only just playing devil's advocate, really. And I'm all for slow love.
5: First of all, Jared, I love that you said that because um, we don't know how to use the Internet. And the biggest problem is exactly what you said. I don't think it has to do with slow love. Slow love is just the courtship process. But I do think that it has a a basic problem. You just hit something really important. There's a huge brain region called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. It's a giant area in the brain that is linked with what is called negativity bias. For millions of years, we have evolved a mechanism to remember the bad, negativity bias. millions of years it was adaptive to remember the bad. I mean, for example, let's say you're walking along in a little hunting and gathering group a million years ago and you know who all your male friends are, very cool, but if you forget who doesn't like you, you could die. So the bottom line is the brain is built to remember the negative. And when you go out with somebody for the first time or whatever, the brain is going to remember that he wore a blue shirt and I don't like the color blue. He likes cats and I like dogs. She likes, uh, um, uh, you know, wind sailing and, and I like uh, concert pianists. You know, uh, I mean, the bottom line is we're built to remember the negative. So there's two things that I say about using the Internet. Nothing wrong with the Internet. It's just an introducing site uh, where, mechanism. But um, when you go out with somebody, you know so little about them that you that we tend to put too much weight on those few things. So the first thing I think of is to your friends who said this to you, think of reasons to say yes. Overlook the negative. I mean, if the person is two feet tall and 10 feet wide and he and doesn't speak your language and is missing most of their teeth, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> but the bottom line is, the more you get to know somebody, the more you like them and the more you think that they are like you. So what your friends are suffering from is not slow love, that's just a courtship process, but it is a primitive and ancient bias of remembering the negative about somebody. And so the bottom line is, get tell your friends who are having doing this, overlook the negative unless it's obvious to over accentuate the positive think about what you like about the person and and try to get rid of what you don't
0: doctor i've got a question for you and it's it's burning inside of me uh so for someone as intelligent and and especially analytical as you you mentioned this at the top of the conversation that you are with someone how i want to hear about the the genesis of your relationship right because We all overthink things. We all go into, like, like you said, negative bias, all these things. I want, I want to know more about how you found your partner.
5: Well, um, so I'm old. I'm over 70. And uh, I got married to him uh, uh, about um, eight weeks ago.
0: <laughs> uh, congratulations! Eight weeks ago, sure. congratulations. Okay, I've been okay. Six
5: years without getting married to somebody. I married somebody um, when I was twenty-three for about four months. I didn't want to marry him. When I did, I was scared of my mother. I went through it. Uh, but that was ridiculous and nobody had any property. Everybody was happy with the divorce, etc, cetera, etc cetera. So that I, you know, and I i've had long, uh, beautiful partnerships with, with two other men But anyway, one thing led to that. Well, this is a good story actually um, so this guy, uh, first of all, he um, was on staff at the New York Times for, for 22 years, so he's interviewed me many times over the years, and, and um, I've liked him, but I've never put the move, ever put the move on anybody in my business world. So uh, we came and went, and now and then I always really admired who he was and everything. Anyway, uh, six years ago, we were invited out to a private uh, ranch in Montana. And this and our host had invited about 20 um, journalists and writers and he offered to give me uh, a ride back to the airport. So we were in his car for about two and a half hours, just the two of us. He's driving along and he says to me, I didn't know him that well, uh, you know, he said, I'm never, he was going through a horrible divorce. I mean, really, really bad. And he said, I'm never going out with another woman. Never, never as long as I live. I'm never, never going out with another woman. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm the only one in the car. <laughs> I think he's trying to tell me something. So anyway, so I said, well, far out, you know, there's other boys in the in the world for God's sake. But anyway, so we started to go out uh, every six weeks or so with a group of people. And at the end, he'd give me a nice hug. And I always liked him, but I never was gonna put the moves on him. So anyway, finally we were, I don't know if you guys are from New York, but bottom line is it was in May, and uh, we were—it was a week, a year later—and um, we were going to have an early dinner, walk the High Line, and then go play pool. So I don't know what got into me, but I pulled my uh, cocktail napkin out from underneath my drink and I said, "Why don't we secretly write down um, what we uh, would like to win uh, if we win at pool?" So I wrote on mine a real kiss, and I'm sick of the hug. What a I didn't move. know. If- I didn't know what I had, what he had written down. So anyway, um, we go play pool. He kills me at pool. i had played pool ten times in my life. He grew up with a pool table in his basement. So I open his little napkin, and it says, "Sex and clarity."
2: <laughs> <laughs> I straight to the point.
5: So I said, "I got you. I, I got you. you I, I, I figured out what you mean by the sex, but what do you have in mind for clarity?" <laughs> And he wanted to be friends with benefits, and he wanted to make it very clear. And I said, that would be fine. But I said to him, we walked uptown, and we weren't going to do anything that night. It was, eight 3 a.m. by then. And I said, uh, I said, I said, you know, I study love. And uh, I said, I just would like to ask you one question. You know, when you have sex with somebody, it can trigger the brain circuitry for romantic love. Any stimulation of the genitals can drive up the dopamine system and trigger feelings of romantic love. And with orgasm, there's a real flood of oxytocin linked with attachment. There's a possibility that you would fall in love. Are you willing to take that chance? And he said yes. Two
0: months ago. I don't know. I don't know if awe is the right response to that. That's like the most like analytical. I think that's uh, really adorable approach. It's so it's so, so funny. He, they, he ended like- up falling in love with you. That's that's yeah, the got- uh, that's the adorable part. I mean, listen, listen, I get it. And I, I agree with you. It's a beautiful story. But it's so funny that we've all had that same conversation, probably multiple times with multiple different people. But we never put it so eloquently as saying exactly what Dr. Helen just yeah. said. We all try to say it. We all, we all try to say it multiple times. But we don't put it that eloquently. We don't, we're don't. we not that clear. You know yeah, what I mean? Well,
5: thank you. Dean, there's another part of the story. You know, you asked, what have I learned? And I, I, I there was something very, very valuable with him. You know, he really was going through a terrible divorce. I mean, I won't go into the details, but anybody would agree that this was a, a, a utter nightmare. And, um, uh, and uh, after about three months of starting our friends with benefits, uh, it was about Thanksgiving time. And he said to me, he said, you know, Helen, I am just overwhelmed with it, all of my issues here. I just have to stop this relationship. I wasn't mad at him. I've never been mad at him because he was clear and he was honest. And he he, I, he said I said okay I, you know I get it, and it was in Grand Central Station. He says this over a drink. I walk home in tears. Of course, I never called him again. I never wrote him again. I never badgered him to change his mind. I never showed him that I was suffering. Never. And about six weeks later, he writes me and he says, I think I made a terrible mistake. And what he had learned was that here is the woman who he could get rid of. It's very important to hold somebody with an open hand so that they know they want to be there. And I think I would have done that even without knowing what I know about love, but I certainly have learned it. And I mean, and, and it was a success. And so the bottom line is that people don't want drama. They want to know that they're there because they want to be there. And mm-hmm. um, and he learned that, you know, if he had, and I even said to him, uh, you know, after we got married, I said, I'm never going to divorce you, but uh, if things go bad, I'm just going to move out and change my will. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we oddly enough play this one day at a time. I mean, I'm in it for the life. I'm in it for life. He's in it for life. Except it's not a problem. And we will not have a problem. We see the world the same way. But the bottom line is, I like this concept of, of doing it one day at a time uh, on some yeah. psychological level. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, and also we are um, LAT. I said, I said, I'm, I'd love to marry him, that's for sure, but I'm not moving in. And uh, um, so we keep our own apartments. Uh, he lives in the Bronx, I live in Manhattan.
2: What does LAT uh, stand for?
5: Living apart together. Oh, okay and um and that's so i acre. was there last night uh i'll go back on friday night we're gonna go away for the week all next week that's great Um, so there's long periods of time that I stay with them, but he likes his evenings of eating pizza and, and reading all night. And I like my evenings of going out with girlfriends and to the theater and all this stuff. And, you know, we weren't built for 24 seven. I mean, as an anthropologist, our ancestors were always, they call it fission fusion. I mean, men would go hunting for several days and women would go gathering and go see friends or relatives for two weeks. I mean, they came and went, which you can do if you trust somebody. And and we do so we're LAT. That's one of the beauties of today. You know, we can build the kind of partnerships that we that we really want to have. It's mm-hmm. not a cookie cutter thing. I remember that you know Jared was saying, well, in the past, you know, um, you know, you really had to really a hundred years ago, you had to marry the right girl or boy from the right. Ethnic background, from the right social background, with the right amount of money, uh, with the right religion, and hopefully from the farm next door. They really had some very rigid criteria of, of who you could wed. These days, that's all off the table. Uh, you know, we can now pick somebody for whatever reasons that appeal to us. What we're really looking for in my studies with Match is uh, for companionship. What singles want today of all ages is, is a companion. Absolutely, doctor.
0: What I what I find so so interesting as well, but not surprising in the slightest, is that uh, earlier in this conversation as well, you mentioned how important education, intelligence, but most importantly, communication is. And I've noticed the thing that you continue to touch on about your partner now is how communicative and honest he is with you, and you are with him. And I agree with you. I think that communication and honesty are the two most important pillars. Uh, for anything, because it's like, okay, cool. Do I waste my time with this person? Do I continue carrying on? If I carry on, are they gonna be honest with me about the things that I don't like, the things I do like, all these types of things. And then you can obviously make your own decisions. There's no guessing, there's no uh, trying to figure out what they're thinking or what they're doing, all those types of things. And that definitely seems to be uh, the thing that makes things work the best. But Dr. Helen, we appreciate you joining us. Um, We hope to have you again soon. We hope to hear from you again soon. And best of luck with everything, okay?
5: And same to you.
0: Thanks, doctor. Thank you so much.
5: Bye Bye.
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. What
0: is up, Sucky Daters? Welcome back to our favorite segment. It is the email segment. Before we get into it, do not forget to email us, isuckadaving at iHeartMedia.com. Um, it's our favorite segment. It literally is the only reason I sign into this podcast every single week just to read your emails. I could care less about Jerry. It's true. And it's, it's in his contract less. I could care less about anyone else. All I care about is the email. So keep emailing us. I suck at dating at iHeartMedia.com. We have Easton uh, on the other side of the line who is very graciously going to read this email for us. So let's
4: get to it. Thank you for the invite, Dean. I appreciate it. This email is from Grace. I am newly married, and my husband and his family are still not over the fact that I don't want to take his last name. Every time I go over to my in-laws, they bring up the fact that I don't have their last name, and that gets my husband fired up. I lost my dad as a teenager, and I built a career with my maiden name. How do I have this conversation with them without hurting their feelings or insulting them?
2: Well, Dean's phone died, uh, so I'll answer this email. Um. I think, uh, listen, Grace, don't feel pressured into taking your husband's name. It's 2020. If you want to keep your maiden name, keep your maiden name. Or not even maiden name. Keep your name. Uh, You know, I I know it's very traditional. Some people feel compelled that they have to change their last name to their husband's last name. Who cares? Keep your last name. Like you said, you've built a career on it. Uh, Your your father, uh, you lost your father at a young age. You want to keep his name. Uh, Keep it. Uh, Don't feel pressured. Okay, that would be my advice. Don't let somebody pressure you into it. And if they are pressuring you, I think that's wrong on their part, especially thinking about the circumstances that you're going through. Uh, it's your name. Uh, you are an independent person. Uh, while you're in a marriage, you are very much allowed to keep your last name. So I would just stick to your guns and tell them exactly how you feel and be honest with them. You're not insulting anybody. Uh, ho- and hopefully you won't hurt their feelings. Um and I just feel like their feelings shouldn't be hurt. I just feel like they should understand.
4: Yeah. I think a name, uh, is the name is most important to who holds that name. And that is you grace. So whatever name you want. I mean, frankly, when, when I got married, I told my wife, I was like, I don't, I don't care if you take my name or not. At the very least, it's a ton of paperwork and it's a lot of time and effort. Like, man, if you don't want to do that, I understand. I don't care. Um, but, but she did it because she cared. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but she she, <laughs> she, 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 did take my name. That, that was important to her. Um, uh, but at the very least it's so much work to, to change your name. I mean, I understand if you don't want to do it for any reason. It's a lot of
2: homework. Yeah.
4: So tell them, tell them to, tell them to shove it. They can keep their name.
2: Yeah. I told, I, I told Ashley, I'd like for her to take my name, but it certainly was not a requirement if she wanted to keep her name, keep your name. Because especially, I can understand where Grace is coming from about losing her father at a young age, and she wants to keep her name. Because Ashley, Ashley's dad had two girls, so his the Iconetti name is not going to last because there's no one to pass it on. Um, so, but Ashley wanted to take my name. I think she's hyphenating it, but it's her name. She can do whatever she wants with it. I have no say in the matter, uh, and that's the bottom line. Okay. Because Stone Cold Steve Austin said so. (laughs) There we go. We are just talking about fantasy football and WWE on this podcast. (laughs) Really just, you know, honing in to our target audience. Uh, So now that Dean is is gone, uh, on behalf of Dean Ungler, uh, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast, everybody. We really appreciate it. A big thank you uh, to Dr. Helen Fisher. Please go to HelenFisher.com. Uh, she's written a, a vast amount of books on love, relationships, sex, uh, dating, slow love, lust. So go check her out. Um, big thank you to everybody listening, everybody emailing in. Grace, thank you so much for emailing us. Please keep your emails coming. Like Dean said, it truly is our favorite part of the podcast. We love you guys because without you podca- without you listening to this podcast, there is no podcast. Uh, so you guys truly make this, uh, this engine go. Uh, thank you to everybody who follows us on social media. Again, shameless plug, go check us out, Help I Suck at Dating. I posted a video the other day, and it's probably my favorite video uh, in the history of filmmaking. So go check that out. Uh, Where in the world is Dean Unglert is the title of it. Um, Thank you to Easton. uh, Thank you to everybody who makes this podcast go. uh, And Dean Unglert uh, may or may not be back next week. Uh, I think he will be as long as he has more than 1% on his phone. So make sure you tune in where hopefully we all suck. Just a little bit less. Follow Help by socket Dating on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to
0: podcasts. It's time to celebrate Black History Month at the Walmart Black and Unlimited Clock.
1: On Thursday, February 29th from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., you can celebrate an extra day of Black History Month with Walmart. This event is free and open to the public at two locations, Flatiron Plaza in New York City,